Previously on Beyond the Lens. If we were going to reboot this show, I think the technology stuff is going to be the biggest thing that's going to need to be adjusted. And they would have to go in more of a folklore mystery route with it, as opposed to things that they did previously. Are you nostalgic? A parent? Or perhaps a child at heart? When it comes to children's media, from books to TV shows, and even movies, there's often more than meets the eye. Is it well written? Does it still hold up today? What works and what doesn't? Or maybe you wonder what went on behind the scenes of that work. Together, a trio of adults, who are also kids at heart, will critique and comment on a new piece of children's media each episode. I'm Rico. You're listening to Beyond the Lens, a family-friendly podcast. Hello everyone, I'm Rico. Welcome to a brand new episode of Beyond the Lens. I'm joined once again by PJ. Hey everybody. Okay, and over the course of these next few episodes of the podcast, we'll be doing uh, sort of some update episodes for topics we covered last season because there's been a few episodes where we discussed or or at least discussed in part content that was expected to come out but wasn't out yet at the time of the episode and so these episodes will sort of give these updates now that that content's now out today's episode is no exception our penultimate episode last season was about the 90s pbs show ghostwriter and we discussed the potential for an upcoming reboot of the show. And less than five months later, the first few episodes of the reboot appeared on a then-new streaming service, Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, and the reboot is very different from the original show, so I figured it would be worth spending another episode talking about. So, PG, how familiar are you with Ghost Rider, either the original 1992 version or the apple tv plus reboot now i think i was absent for the episode in the first season i think it was just you and eric that covered the show i can't remember why i wasn't in that episode i think it was just Um, due to scheduling conflicts if i recall yeah something like that but i wasn't in that episode so um I am completely unfamiliar with Ghost Rider. I didn't even know it was a show until uh, you and Eric recorded that episode, actually. So mm-hmm. I have never seen a single episode or heard of it, um, both the original and the reboot. So I guess before we start talking about the reboot, we should talk a little bit about the original so that we can better compare and contrast them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the early 1990s, Sesame Workshop, which was then called the Children's Television Workshop, wanted to create a show that promoted literacy for a slightly older demographic. The idea was that Sesame Street would teach young children how, like, basic letters, numbers, basic phonics, things like that. Then once they got older, they would sort of graduate to another show they produced, The Electric Company, which taught them, like, more complex phonics and how to read and things like that. And then they wanted to create a new show that kids who got sort of too old for the electric company to graduate to to continue learning about reading and writing. And 
this was the 90s and they wanted to have it appeal to the more so the MTV generation. So they actually brought on an MTV producer, Liz Nealon, to help create the show. Uh, and the educational requirement that was needed for the show was that text needed to be on screen. And so the question was sort of, where does this text come from? And that is what led to the creation of the series concept. So the 1992 version of Ghost Rider was a, about a group of kids in New York City called the Ghost Rider team who solve mysteries around the neighborhood with the help of a friendly ghost that they named Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider can't hear or talk, but he can read and write, and he is only able to see and manipulate written letters, and those words are only visible to the Ghost Rider team. It was an award-winning show back in the day, but it ran out of money and was canceled due to lack of funding in its third season. And there actually was an earlier reboot attempt of sorts on CBS in 1997. It was based largely around the same concept, but with different characters, but it didn't do all that well ratings-wise and was canceled after one season. Um, so some of the challenges going into the idea of rebooting uh, Ghost Rider in today's day and age is that the technology that was used in the 90s has come a long way since then. There was, like, for example, one point in the original show where the idea of CDs having computer programs on was used as a joke because they only had music back then. Dial-up modems were used to connect directly to other computers. And then one episode featured uh, a video piracy ring that was selling bootleg VHS tapes. And it was just a few of things that were sort of out of date. Another thing that was sort of out of date was that so, sort of the ways that the team operated came out of date. Like, for example, there was one part in the show where they would write rally and then Ghostwriter would send that message to others when they wanted to meet to discuss the case. But now, rally messages can easily just be sent through text messages and not through Ghostwriter. And, and then there's also the internet, which makes finding certain things a little bit easier without the need for Ghostwriter. But, but one thing that sort of was going for the original was that it had a serialized storyline and that each story was told in four to five half-hour episodes. So that would make more sense on like a streaming network for like binge watching, but there have been several things uh, that would have to change for this reboot to work. And so that's when we get to Apple TV Plus, which is Apple's uh, relatively new streaming platform for various TV shows and movies. Sesame Workshop partnered with Apple early on to produce shows for kids on the platform, one of which was The Helpsters, which uh, is more for a younger demographic than Ghostwriter. But they were also interested in pursuing a Ghostwriter reboot for the platform. And as far as I know, I did task several different people and production companies to come up with different ways of reimagining the concept for a new modern audience. And the production company that won out, the one that was chosen was Sinking Ship Entertainment, which is known for actually a lot of different shows that you might have heard of, uh, Odd Squad, Endlings, and Dana, Dana, to name a few. PG, have you heard of any of those shows? 
Unfortunately, I have not. So I actually had previously heard about three before its like announcement that it was coming back because someone essentially edited uh, the Wikipedia article on Ghostwriter mentioning there was a casting call for the reboot. And so this, this was about a year before the Beyond the Lens uh, podcast episode was recorded, but, but I did look at the casting call and there was like a little bit of the script present in the casting call as well as uh, a short description of how the show is reimagined. But the concept that was on the page for that casting call was actually slightly different from the final show. So, PJ, I know you're an actor. Do you know why that could be? Why there might be some changes between the casting call and what was ultimately filmed and released? That's a really good question, actually. Um, I mean, it really depends on several circumstances. I mean, I'm not sure about that specific situation, but I remember uh, one of the movies I was in, um, I auditioned for the main role. And, she, you know, she was the lead character and they called me back for a different character. And I'm like, oh, well, that's weird because I auditioned for this character. Um, and then I went and auditioned for the new character. And then I was I, apparently I was the only one that was auditioning for that second character. So I thought, oh, well, I'm going to get this character then because, you know, they think that I'm a better fit for this character. But then I got the final, I guess, uh, role that I landed and it was for a completely different character I'm like uh okay well what just happened and they explained oh well we thought you would fit like a different character like instead so now I was playing this third character um but then right before I was about to film they're like oh well actually the actress that was supposed to play the second character well she got sick do you want to switch roles with her and I'm like okay sure um uh yeah that's fine um so I mean things change for so many reasons I know for auditions people might think that you would fit a different role better and most of the time casting directors know what they're doing they truly look for an actor that can play a certain part you know for Bojack Horseman I auditioned for that show as well because they were looking for an asexual actress to play um the asexual the asexual rabbit on the show and ended up going to Echo Gillette um who is also asexual but I I'll also agree that she was indeed a better fit for that character because she was more like spunky and upbeat that's not really my own personality so I think the casting director made a great call there and of course, I auditioned for another show called Everything's Gonna Be Okay, where there's an autistic woman on the show who is played by an autistic actress. I also auditioned for that role. Um, so it really depends on several circumstances on what people are looking for. Sometimes if shows don't work out, it could be like um, the casting went wrong or things went a different direction. So, I mean, there could be different reasons why uh, that sort of thing didn't work out. That was really interesting to hear. Uh, so anyway, we, so the final concept that ended up being released on the streaming sources will also include a little bit of a recap of some of what happens in the first few episodes. Uh, there's a, before, like before the show even begins, middle, there's a middle school student, Ruben, whose grandmother has recently died, and he and his single mother moves in to to his grandfather's place to help take to help take care of him as well as the family-owned bookstore 
Uh, and so Ruben is essentially the new kid in school. Uh, and he doesn't take, take too well in that he's having a hard time fitting in. One of the first scenes is that he's eating lunch alone at his locker when he accidentally, or, or maybe be better to say mysteriously, uh, spills his soup and, and it causes a basketball player to slip and fall and he injures his shoulder and that basketball player's name is Curtis. And then later, Ruben is at the bookstore talking to a family friend around his age named Siobhan. Um, and that's when Curtis and his little sister, Donna, stops in the bookstore to look around. Donna's juice is accidentally spilled. And then suddenly the word hello appears in the juice on the floor. And so the next day, uh, the four kids see the words come together mysteriously appear on a chalkboard at a cafeteria bake sale. And it's discovered that only these four kids are the ones who can see the message. And so Donna immediately jumps to the conclusion that it's a ghost that's responsible for all of this. And then as the series goes on, the, the ghost essentially starts releasing characters from books that, again, only these four kids can see. And it starts with Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. And when this happens, the book that these characters are from turns blank, so so it's no longer able to be read. And so even though the characters are visible to the kids only, but the interactions with like real world items are real. Like for example, uh, there's one part where there's a recreation of the tea party scene from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And it's re recreated from all these bake sale items. And during the scene, the Mad Hat Hatter essentially trashes the place, makes a huge mess of things. But the, the kids end up getting caught by the principal who only sees the mess created by the characters and the kids. They don't see any of the characters that were released. So throughout the series, the... The kids try to discover the ghost's unfinished business, as it was, and why particular characters are being released from the books, as well as how to like put them back in the books. So, believe it or not, in many ways, our MIA friend Eric uh, had some of his predictions right when it came to this reboot. It, it went into more of like a folklore or mystery realm as opposed to a Detective Mystery that was used in the original series. They also updated the use of technology. Uh, and, and at one point, he predicted that there might be some use of like uh, ghost hunting technology. And while that wasn't there, there was a character, a psychic medium, who was more in tune with the spiritual world, who sort of hints and knows that there is a ghost present among them in the bookstore. And it's on a streaming platform that, that better benefits uh, binge watching, Apple TV Plus, uh, as well as uh, more up to date uh, CGI for the ghosts and the ghosts' interactions. Like in the original 1992 version, it's essentially just hand drawn animation of the ghosts that is combined with the actual live action footage. Uh, Whereas here, the ghost is CG, and although you don't see the ghost 
all that often. Uh, he's, she's in a reaction that looks a lot more like modern compared to what was seen in the original. And as far as the educational goals for the series, the goals have shifted from more of a focus on literacy to a focus on literature. The kids who watch the show would be encouraged to read, read books that they might not otherwise be interested in reading. And I think that had I been a kid watching this iteration in Ghost Rider, I'd probably be more interested in reading the books featured on the show as well. So the books that have been featured on the show, most, so a few of them have been uh, public domain stories like uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, The Jungle, the Jungle Book, Frankenstein, and Sherlock Holmes. There was one episode with the option, the rights to a mystery book, The Disappearance of Emily H. But most of the stories that are being told are like wholly original. Like there's one sci-fi Western hybrid book called Trinity. There's also a pirate time travel adventure called Time Castaways. And then there's another book that's essentially central to the mystery of the ghost unfinished business called The Cobalt Mask. I don't want to give too much away there. I wanted this to be sort of spoiler-free for those who might want to check out the series. But uh, PJ, based on uh, what what you've heard, what do you think of the concept overall, as well as like what sort of books did you like to read growing up? Well, um, it was very difficult for me to read because um, for those that don't know, I have hyperlexia. So it's essentially the dis or it's the opposite of dyslexia. And so I would read words very well, usually pronounce them right on the first try. And I was like a very avid speller, but my comprehension is very poor. Um, dare I say it's like a seventh graders. Um, so books were a little challenging for me growing up. I would always read if if I ever read it was usually nonfiction because I loved learning about animals. I wanted to be a zookeeper and uh, I I just enjoyed learning facts in general. I like that's also why I watch game shows. So I don't really think I had a favorite book. If I had to choose a fiction book, like a chapter book or just fiction in general, um, I think there was, I mean, I liked comic books too. I, I really enjoyed um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, that series, because it also kept me engaged with all the pictures and the style of writing. So I think I'm going to have to go with that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause again, when I was in high school, I figured this out, but I realized that I more so like uh, reading non-fictional books as opposed to fictional books as well. Uh, what about you? Do you have a favorite book? Uh, well... I'm, I'm not sure if I have a, a favorite book. Uh, I wasn't actually that much of a reader growing up. Like, uh, what, what I did read was, was more so, uh, like, if it was fiction, it was more so realistic fiction, like uh, Beverly Cleary's Ramona books, mm-hmm. or or if there was some sort of uh, fantastical element that I appreciate it when it was more so grounded in reality sort of like the body body switching story freaky friday so that's a good one yeah i guess if i had to pick a favorite book uh i'd probably have to go with the giver by lewis lorry 
Yeah, that's a good one too. And uh, I think one of my elementary school teachers read us that book. I tried to read it on my own, but it was just too far above my level. But I remember it being really good. Yeah, uh, sort of the same thing for me. Like I didn't read the book per se. It was read to me by my seventh grade teacher. Uh, like read to the whole class. I, I think what he was trying to do was sort of open our eyes to like different kinds of books out there, sort of like the shelves. And I remember really uh, liking the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are several different new characters uh, present in, in the series. Uh, there's uh, Ruben, who we sort of talked about already. He's a new kid and has trouble making friends at first, as well as adjusting to his new living situation. Uh, then there's uh, Curtis, who's uh, in a, more of an athletic type of student, and he's also slightly popular. Uh, but the first season also has a storyline that involves him being diagnosed with dyslexia. Uh, and then there's Curtis's younger sister, Donna, who has a more fashion-forward thinking and sense of style. She... she Loves sewing and creating new outfits and of her own designs, usually out of things she buys from thrift stores. And Siobhan is is more of a book book smart student who's very much focused on academics. And even her extracurriculars are more academically inclined, like debate and model UN. And there's all sorts of different recurring characters some of the ones that i i remember the most is the history teacher mr saunders and ruben's mom and his grandfather uh and then also curtis's and donna's parents who are recently divorced so with that said out of the characters uh i listed uh what characters would you say would like what character do you think you would relate to the most um, what was the character with um, dyslexia's name again? Curtis. Otis? Curtis. Oh, Curtis. Okay. Um, I th- I think uh, him because simply because like if you have dyslexia or hyperlexia or any of the other learning disabilities, you are neurodivergent. So I think it's really cool that they included a character like that on the show. Yeah. So uh, I thought that storyline was actually pretty well handled. Like it doesn't even manifest as if something's wrong right away. Like like in the first episode, it revealed that Curtis is, is sort of kicked off the basketball team because his grades grade has started slipping in history. And, and as you know, most schools have a policy where you have to keep your grades up in order to participate in a- athletics. Uh, and sort of as the show goes on, it becomes clear to Siobhan that even though Curtis is like really trying hard in school, like he's still struggling. And so, and so when they're putting up, partnered up on a project together, together, uh, that's when she relates to a teacher that uh, that he thinks she thinks that something's wrong with Curtis, uh, and that causes him to be referred to the to the school psychologist who, who wants to do some testing to see if there's something going on besides just any stress or anything like that. And that's when he discovers he has 
dyslexia and well, I will say real quickly that I just think it's really cool that they included a, a story like that on the show because I'm sure it helps so many people who are questioning the same thing and are going, oh, maybe like I'm not alone in this because when you notice something different about yourself and you're not so sure, there's no resources and you don't really know where to go. I think that part of the show alone helped so many people. Yeah. As far as the character, I would say I relate to the most at I probably say Ruben because he seems sort of shy and has a hard time making friends, and I think that's true for me. And then, as far as uh, comparing the two versions of the show, the original 1992 version and this 2019 version, uh, and uh, so the 1992 version was set specifically in New York City uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, Whereas this new version is still set in the city, but it's not really specified which city. I believe it's filmed out of Toronto, though. So there's that. Rico, do you have um, a favorite out of the two versions? Uh, it's it's sort of hard to say because, I mean, you sort of talked a little bit about this with iCarly, where it's sort of hard to compare the original and the, and the, and the reboot because... Uh, I if I was if I went into this blindly didn't know what the show was called I would more so say that it reminded me of uh, like Wishbone meets House of Anubis than it did like the original Ghost Rider so uh, that's just me and speaking of uh, one of those two shows that I just mentioned uh, will be uh, talked about later this season I don't want to say which one yet. But I'm sure you're hyped for that one, PJ. Oh, yeah. Stay tuned, y'all. That one's going to be awesome. I guess since we're running running out of time, um, do you have like any last-minute thoughts about Ghost Rider? Well, even though I haven't seen it, I do want to say that um, like a lot of the shows that we've talked about on here, it seems like the newer one is more modernized, where instead of... I think you mentioned in the earlier version, they were actually writing letters. And then in this one, it's more like text messages and uh, modern day technology. I think that's really cool. And because it's so different, it, it kind of engages a different newer audience. So they can go back and look at the original version and kind of see where the inspiration came from. So as always, I think that's really cool. Yeah. One thing I'll say is I, I have heard rumors that there was a season three that was picked up for the show by Apple and there's also someone on Twitter who claimed to work on the show and, and they said that there are, are actually episodes that were filmed that are yet to be seen but I haven't heard any official confirmation of anything yet from Apple or Sesame Workshop or Seeking Chip or anything but if any of those companies are listening for whatever reason. I hope you'd be able to update on us soon. I know COVID has affected a lot of the things, but the way season two ended, I wouldn't be surprised if the series ends where it is now. I hope that's not the case, but I'd like to hear something soon. So thank you everyone for listening. Uh, it's been exciting to dive back into the world of Ghost Rider again. Uh, the next episode will be another update episode that you don't want to miss. 
Uh, and I won't see what it is quite yet, but it's something that is not like you've heard before on Beyond the Lens. That's all safe for now, but until then, this has been a journey beyond the lens. This is Rico and PJ signing out. Goodbye. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Lens. The intro music is Work. That's W-E-R-Q by Kevin McCobb. It is available under a Creative Commons Attribution License and can be downloaded for free at Incompetech.com. Beyond the Lens is a Recore Entertainment production.